Could we all thank Chris, uh, Jared, and Michael for leading us this morning? It's cool from my perspective coming in, I'm the newbie here in town, if we haven't met, my name is Brian. It's cool coming into a church that has such a lineage of people who have been here for decades, who are stepping into leadership, stepping out of leadership, transferring leadership, passing on leadership. It's cool, really cool to be a part of a church like this, where there's multi-generational layers of leadership, and it's great to see Chris stepping from youth where he's been leading for years, stepping up front and passing it on, so I'm just grateful to be part of this. Um, if you could, turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be spending our time there today. Colossians 1 will be in verses 13 through 23. We're in week 2 of a four-week series that we're calling Hospital for the Hurting, which Jim referenced earlier. And this, we believe, is the purpose of our church in this season of life and ministry together. To be a place for people of all ages, stages, backgrounds, experiences, to be rescued, restored, and redeemed. As a church family, we know that we're called to obey the global command that Jesus has given us, right? To go and make disciples. But within that framework, we want to be faithful to where we see God at work now in our local context. In that, we believe he's entrusted us with the task a unique responsibility to be a hospital for the hurting as a means of making disciples. So last week, if you were here, uh, many of you were still on vacation, so I'll just bring you up to speed. Uh, Todd kicked off this sermon series emphasizing that Melanie Park needs to be a safe place for hurting people to heal. He talked about cultivating a culture of compassion in which we care enough to listen and love enough to meaningfully engage. I'd encourage you, if you haven't, or even if you have, uh, to go back online and re-listen to the sermon. It's a very important sermon, I think, for Melanie Park. And Todd not only sets up a foundation for this series, but a foundation for Melanie Park as a family moving forward. Uh, today, though, we're going to shift from talking about the hospital, so how to cultivate the right environment in which healing can happen, we're going to shift from talking about the hospital to talking about the healer. The hospital and the healer. Because the reality is, if, if you think about it, it's not the hospital itself that's most important in people's healing process, though the structure of the building and the culture of the organization are important, right? Nor is it the loving, caring hospital staff that's most important, though they're essential and vital, the people aren't most important. What's most important in a hospital is getting people the right resources they need, the correct medicine, the proper surgery. The source of healing is what's most important, dispensed by the hospital staff in the context of the hospital. But the most important thing every single sick or hurting person needs is the right remedy. First, a proper diagnosis, then the right treatment. So spiritually speaking, and I'm just going to give it away right now, spoiler alert, Jesus is the right remedy that we all need. Can we agree on that this morning? Jesus is the right remedy to every problem we face. He's the spiritual surgeon who initially, upon conversion, removes our heart of stone and implants a heart of flesh. And then as we grow and go about our Christian lives, 
Jesus, the great physician, is always there. He's always on call, faithfully to provide exactly what we need when we need it. So this morning, we're simply going to spend our time looking at Jesus and his rescuing work, what we call the gospel, which if you're new to church, the gospel means good news of what God has done for us through Jesus. So this morning, if you're a note taker, we're going to look at what the gospel is, We'll spend about 15, 20 minutes on that and then discuss why the gospel matters if we're to be a hospital for the hurting. So let me begin by praying and then we'll jump into our text this morning. So Jesus, the great physician, we thank you this morning that you are everything that we need. You're the remedy to every problem we face. And this morning, Lord, as we've sung, Lord, we need you. We need you. Every hour we need you. And we've also sung that you're with us. And Lord, we believe that. We, we, we trust that you are here with us this morning to not only speak to us, but to, to minister to us by your spirit in very specific, personal ways. So Lord, we just entrust ourselves to you in this time. I just pray for myself as I speak that, that the truth of your word would just flow from my mouth. Lord, give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, and activate our wills to respond. Pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. And uh, you'll have to bear with me. I've been a little sick this week, so you can probably hear in my voice. It's kind of uh, running a little, little low, but I'm going to chug some water and we'll get through this together, all right? So Colossians 1, we'll walk through verses 13 through 23. And first, like I said, we're going to see what the gospel is. So starting in verse 13. For he... This is God the Father, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, Jesus, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we'll pause there for a minute. We said earlier that the gospel means good news. And here we see that it's good news of something that God has done for us. Notice verse 13, who is the active agent and who's the passive agent? He rescued us. He transferred us. You and I are the passive ones in salvation. God is the active one. There's nothing that we have contributed to the redemption and forgiveness that we've received. He transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus. And I love this language here of a domain change. I'm not a computer person by any stretch of the imagination. Some of you are, so you can correct me if I'm wrong. But I believe that if you're in one domain, computer-wise, you can't be in another domain at the same time. You're either in one or the other. Spiritually speaking, we're either in the kingdom of darkness or we're in the kingdom of light. One or the other. In Christ, God has transferred us from here to here. We are now, because of God's work for us in the gospel, in a completely different realm than we used to be. Used to be slaves to sin, now we're free. Used to be dead, now we're alive. Formerly citizens of the kingdom of darkness, now citizens of the kingdom of light. And God has done it all. So to state it simply, if you want to write this down, the gospel is good news about what God has done for us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So 
good news about what God has done for us. But Colossians 1 goes on to show us that this gospel has both cosmic as well as personal implications. You know, God is doing something far more than personal salvation, though not less. And this is important that we see this. So I want to give give an illustration that I think might be helpful. Has anyone ever been to New York City before? Okay, cool. If you haven't been to New York City, think another large city, or think Lubbock. That's fine. (laughs) It works all the same. But I'm going to use New York for an example this morning. The same city can have two different views depending on where you are. If you're flying over New York or flying over Lubbock, it looks different than if you're on the ground, right? So here's New York from the air, right? We see this city. We see the breadth of the city. We see the massive scope of the city. It's expansive. Flying over it, it can take your breath away, especially if you're flying over it for the first time. What is that? New York City. You could see Central Park. You could see the bridges. It's just beautiful. The marvelous view from above. But then there's another view, what I'll call New York City on the ground, which allows you to actually experience the depth of the city personally. You feel the energy. The city's life pulses through your veins. You can taste the city, touch the city, and most certainly smell the city. The feel of the city engulfs you or repulses you, depending on your perspective. People move to New York City to be part of something bigger than themselves, to experience the city personally on the ground. In the same way, Colossians 1 provides us with an aerial view and a ground view of the gospel. If you want to write this down, verses 15 through 20 show us the gospel in the air, So we'll look at this this morning and and step back and marvel at its glorious breadth and its scope. And then verses 21 through 23 will draw us down into the gospel on the ground so that we can feel it, we can experience it, and by God's grace be drawn more deeply into it today. So two sections, gospel in the air, gospel on the ground. We'll start with gospel in the air. So verse 15, he, this is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So we'll walk through this together. So if you want to know what God is like, what do you do? You look at Jesus. Jesus is the exact representation of God, Hebrews 1 would tell us. To to know what God is like, we're not left to wonder, we're not left to make it up on our own. We simply look at Jesus through the scripture. Jesus images God. Because he is God. Jesus is God in the flesh. So Jesus is the image of the invisible God, but he's also, Paul says, the firstborn of all creation. So what does that mean? So what it doesn't mean is what our Jehovah's Witnesses and Unitarians uh, heretically teach, is that Jesus was the first created being. That's not true. Jesus is eternal God. No beginning, no end. In verse 17 of the text we're in will show us that Jesus is not part of creation. He's over all creation. So firstborn here, rather than meaning first in time, it means first in rank. In ancient culture, the firstborn was most important and possessed the rights as the primary heir. So Jesus is firstborn. 
He's first in rank. He's the honored one over all creation. And then Paul goes on, verse 16, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So this is pretty incredible. If you're an English person, you've probably noticed the three prepositions in here. Paul says that everything that exists, exists by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. What he's saying is, it's all because of him, and it's all about him. All of creation is an expression of the genius of Jesus Christ, and all creation exists for the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Stamped throughout the universe are the fingerprints of Jesus. If you look at the molecular level, the astronomical level, science points to him, nature speaks to him. The vast expanse of space bears witness to him. Jesus brought everything into being, and he not only owns it all, but he sustains it all, which is where Paul goes next, verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I look at it like Jesus is the divine glue of creation. If he stopped holding it together, By the word of his power, again, Hebrews 1 says, everything would fall apart. You know, if Jesus spoke the word, fall apart, the earth would unravel, the universe would unravel, you and I would unravel. Jesus is upholding everything by the word of his power because he created all things and he owns all things. Paul goes on, verse 18. Jesus is also the head of the body the church. So just as Jesus created the cosmos, he has created the church, which is a radically diverse group of people scattered all throughout the world who are connected to Jesus for their very life and are commissioned by Jesus to continue his mission of making disciples all over the world. So Jesus has joined us together with believers all over the world in a relationship so significant that the Bible uses head in body language. Uh, Now, I'm not very good with anatomy either, but I do know one thing. If you take the head off the body, it goes really bad. (laughs) The head, in terms of our bodies, is kind of very important. It's where we think. It's where everything gets navigated from the head. Spiritually speaking, it's the same. For the church, Jesus is the head of the body. He leads us. He guides us. He helps us see where to go. He tells us what to do. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is of utmost importance. He's literally vital to the life and health of the church at large, to Melanie, Church, uh, Melanie Park, and every other local church that exists. Uh, and Paul goes on, he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. So Paul's reminding us here, in light of all the other things that he said, and and this is a kind of a weighty passage, is it not? We could spend a sermon series just working through Colossians 1. We're breezing through this quickly, so I apologize. But in light of everything that Paul said, he wants to remind us as well. Oh yeah, 
And Jesus, he's risen from the dead. And because of his resurrection, we now, those who have put our faith and trust in Christ, will experience resurrection also. Jesus is not only the creator of life, he's the conqueror of death. And now in him, through him, there is resurrection life available to all who want it. And I love this idea here in the last part of verse 18, if you want to look there, about Jesus being first place in everything. Some passages say preeminent, NASB says first place. Not only is Jesus the firstborn of all creation, as, as we've seen, first in rank, not only is he firstborn from the dead, that he's ro- ro- risen, Paul caps it off with Jesus' is first place in everything. This, the universe, the cosmos, the world that we live in, your street, your home, your family, your own life and body, this is literally all about him. All of this, all of this exists because of him, by him, and through him. No one is greater, no one is higher. Jesus is first place in everything. And with that in mind, Paul goes on to verse 19. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness, he's talking about all the fullness of the deity, to dwell in him. So when Jesus stepped into our world, he brought all the fullness of God into human form. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. So verse 20 is where I want to focus in for a minute. Paul says, and through him to reconcile all things. So what are the all things that need to be reconciled? Well, we've just seen it in the passage that we've read. It said all things about seven or eight times. So the all things are the universe, the world, all the things created by Jesus, created for Jesus, all these things have somehow turned against Jesus and now need to be reconciled. So the Bible as a whole, if you were to start in Genesis 3 and start reading, would teach that because of sin, Everything that exists is now broken. It's fractured. When our first parents, Adam and Eve, decided to turn their backs on God and chose to rebel against him, going their own way, doing their own thing, sin entered the world and everything broke. Even the natural order, Romans 8 says, has been fractured by sin. Romans 8 says all of creation is subject to futility. It's in slavery to corruption It's groaning as it waits for the redemption to come. If you don't know this, sin has fractured everything. All of creation feels this and knows this. All things need to be reconciled, and one day they will. When Jesus returns to set right all that we've wronged, to reverse the curse, and to restore restore creation to what it was meant to be. So to bring this all to a point here, the gospel in the air, right? If you, were, if you were to write down one sentence, what is the gospel in the air? It's this. The gospel is the plan of God to reconcile all things through Jesus Christ. The gospel shows us God's plan to reconcile all things 
through Jesus Christ. At this cosmic level, we see the breadth and the scope of what God is doing. But Jesus is doing a reconciling work on a personal, individual level as well. And we can't have one without the other. So let's go from the air and let's zoom in to the ground to experience the depth of the gospel personally. And my hope in our next few minutes is that even if you've heard this a thousand times, that a unique aspect of God's work for you would grab a hold of your heart this morning. That maybe a specific reality of the gospel would drop deeper and deeper down into your heart and change you a little bit more this morning. So starting in verse 21, the gospel on the ground. And although you, so this is personal now, he's talking about you. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. So let's pause there, because that's a snippet of bad news, right? Alienated from God, hostile in your mind, engaged in evil deeds. Apart from Christ, all of us have a very serious problem. Because of our sin, we've created an alienation issue. God created us to live in perfect dependence and complete obedience to him, enjoying life under his loving, gracious rule. But just as our first parents did, each one of us have turned our backs on him and said, essentially, nah, I don't like that plan. I'm going to go do my thing. We've told God by our rebellious self-sufficiency that we aren't interested in living under your loving authority. And because of our sin, we've created an alienation issue, which then produces a hostility issue in the way that we think. You know, I don't know if you experienced this, but when your relationship with God isn't right, it just kind of throws everything off. Our thoughts go dark, we can't think straight, and we start to, uh, over time, develop a, a a, a false sense of reality. Alienation from God creates hostility in our minds, which flows out in evil deeds that ne- negatively affect our lives and the lives of those around us. So apart from Christ, we all have a serious problem. Alienated, hostile, evil. We're all sinners in need of a savior. Rebels who desperately need a rescuer. But now enters the good news. Verse 22. Yet he, Jesus, has now reconciled you. Again, who's the active agent here? Did God do the reconciling or did you do the reconciling? He reconciled you. It's a work he's done for you. In his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy, blameless, and above reproach. So, so here's the turning point in the story, right? Jesus intervened. He came to rescue you, to redeem you, to reconcile you to the Father. The gospel is good news that God has come to forgive you, to save you. Jesus lived the life that you couldn't live. Jesus died the death that you deserved. He was buried and rose to justify you to declare you righteous before him. And he now rules and reigns above on high. 
So if the gospel in the air shows us the plan of God to reconcile all things, the gospel on the ground shows us the power, excuse me, <coughs> the gospel on the ground shows us the power of God to reconcile and radically transform you. So from the air, we see the plan of God to reconcile all things, and on the ground, we feel the power of God to reconcile and radically transform you. If you look back at the passage, we go from alienated, hostile, doing evil things, to holy, blameless, above reproach for him. From the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, from death to life. Through the work of Jesus, God powerfully transforms people. The gospel according to Romans 1 verse 16 is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So I'd ask you this morning, do you believe this? Do you believe that God has done a work for you to reconcile you, to radically transform your life? The good news can't just be seen from the air. It has to be experienced personally and individually. Though it's glorious from up here, it has to be felt, it has to be tasted, it has to be touched on the ground. So I'd invite you today, if you haven't experienced the power of God personally to reconcile and radically transform you, respond to Jesus today. You know, the Bible says the way that we do that is by repenting, which means to change our minds, to change our thinking. Let God change your thinking from hostile to open and submissive to him. Repent and believe the gospel. Turn to Jesus. Put your trust in him. Put your hope in him. We'll provide some time at the end of the service today. We'll sing a song and provide you just some time and space to respond to Jesus. But if you want to do it now and totally tune me out, it'd be worth it. Respond to Jesus today, either now or later, but do it if you haven't done it yet. And if you need help processing any of this, I'm sure the majority of people in this room would love to have a conversation with you. Um, but if you want to talk to Todd or one of the elders or myself after, we'd be more than happy to talk with you some more as well. Now, for those who have already put their trust and faith in Christ, which I'd assume is a good amount of people in here today, Paul pleads with us in verse 23 to continue, to not shift away from the gospel. Look what he says. Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. So Christian brothers and sisters, my Melanie Park family, don't drift away from the hope of the gospel that you've heard. Continue on in it, firmly rooted in it, dwelling deep in Jesus and all his, his all-sufficient work for you. You know, for the Christian, the gospel is not just something we hear once and then move on to other things. The gospel is something we must back, come back to continually. Week after week as we gather, you're going to hear the gospel in one shape form or another. You're going to hear that God has done something for you that you can't do for yourself. 
So respond to him, worship him, give him thanks for that. And then in our everyday lives as well, we need to hear the gospel continually. We must never drift away from the gospel we have heard. The gospel is central to who we are as Christians, and the gospel is essential in all that we do as Christians. We sing the gospel, we read the gospel, we worship in light of the gospel, we speak the gospel to one another, we dwell on the gospel ourselves and allow it to drop deeper into our hearts. Because God's work for us is not just something we needed once. For me in 2001, when I put my faith and trust in Christ, the gospel is something I need every day. Not just to become a Christian, but to grow as a Christian. So Melanie Park, staying gospel-centered is absolutely vital if we're to continue growing as Christians and if we're to remain faithful as a local church here in Lubbock. So to summarize this and start to bring it to a close, in discussing what the gospel is, right, that was our first header, what the gospel is, we've seen three things. So the gospel is good news about something God has done for you, right? So Jesus has died in your place for your sin to reconcile you to the Father. That's good news. God has done a work for us. And then secondly, from the air, we've seen that the gospel is the what? The plan of God to reconcile all things to the Father. So it's good news. It's the plan of God. And then thirdly, from the ground, we saw that the gospel is the what? The power. Nice, I'm very proud of you. The gospel is the power of God to reconcile individual people and radically transform their lives. There's hundreds of us in here today who have experienced that, right? We've seen the plan from the air, and we've experienced the power on the ground. So now, let's close our time by discussing why the gospel matters in a hospital for the hurting. So why does it matter? So, like Todd said last week, if we're to continue to be a community of compassion, a safe place for hurting people to be healed, why would Jesus and his work for us need to be central in that? So I just want to point out two reasons, and then we'll sing a song of response. So first, knowing the plan of God, so if we know that God's plan is to reconcile all things, that helps us keep our priorities straight, right? Like, like what are we doing? after as a church? Where are we going? What direction should we go? Where do we emphasize? What do we prioritize as a church individually? Knowing that God's plan is to reconcile all things, it helps us keep our priorities and our focus straight. So do we see what God's doing all around us? Because God's at work. He's reconciling. Do we see it? Are we looking for what God's doing all around us? God has a plan to reconcile all things. Do you long to participate in that with him? So as an individual, is your life plan or your purpose aligned with God's ultimate plan? Or has your focus, your priorities shifted even slightly? You know, just speaking personally, my priorities always shift to me. They always shift to comfort. They always shift away from, mm, that might be a little challenging to, mm, I'm just going to relax and do my thing. 
knowing that God is reconciling all things and has a plan to do so, that is actually a good plan and is working, I can align my priorities with his. So as a church, are we aligned with God's plan to reconcile all things here locally as well as globally all over the world? Are we committed to being agents of reconciliation here in Lubbock? So knowing the plan to reconcile all things helps keep our priorities straight. It helps reorient us to what actually matters most. Jesus, his glory being known and seen, and all things being reconciled to the Father. So that's the first reason why it matters. Helps us focus, helps us prioritize. But then secondly, if we truly believe that the gospel is the power of God, which it is, to reconcile and transform people, why would you ever look elsewhere for another source of healing? You know, we all do this at times. We're, we experience brokenness, we experience hurt, and, and we look to other things to calm our fears, to numb our pain, to console our failure and comfort our loneliness, when the reality is Christ is all you need. He's the power of God for salvation, initially upon conversion and progressively as you grow in Christ. Why would you ever look elsewhere? And then secondly, whenever we're interacting with people who are hurting and broken, why would we ever point them anywhere else except Jesus and the gospel? What he's doing to rescue, restore, and redeem. You know, whatever issue we face in Jesus and his work for us in the gospel are the answers that we need. In him, in him alone, healing can be had. Whether it's initial salvation from Satan, sin, and death, Jesus is the answer to that. Or if it's an issue of sanctification, whether it's you just find yourself being really proud or self-righteous or you struggle with sexual sin or substance abuse or same-sex attraction or codependency, depression, issues with food, fear, control, anger, abuse, whatever the case may be, whatever struggle you might have, Jesus in his work for you in the gospel is the answer that you need. He's the right remedy. He's the source of healing. You and I are powerless to save ourselves. And you and I are pow powerless to sanctify ourselves. We need a greater power. We need the all-powerful one in his power-packed gospel to invade our space and to transform our lives. I just want to leave you with one more verse this morning. Acts 4, verse 12, says that there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Only Jesus can reconcile you, rescue you, restore you, redeem you. And it's only when Jesus is encountered in the gospel that we can find the healing spiritually and the long-term health spiritually that we need. So Melanie Park family, as we grow together over these next days to be a hospital for the hurting, May Jesus and his work for us in the gospel always be central in whatever we do. For he and he alone is the great physician that we all need. So Chris and the guys can come on up. We're going to sing one last song together. And like I said, just going to give you time and space to reach out to Jesus, 
Maybe you've never trusted in him. Do it this morning. Just say, Jesus, I need you. Reach out to him for salvation. Or if you've been a Christian for 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, today's an opportunity to reach out to him again. There's always more healing to be had. Jesus is the great physician. So let's all come to him again today.